Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash thestorymen. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Store, 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 re, 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 men, men, men. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Storymen Podcast, episode 198. I am Clay Morgan. I'm J.R. Forresteros. And I am Matt Good News Alatus. <laughs> I thought you would just be Matt Michelatis this week. I and I am Matt Michelatis. We are the Storymen. We also do stuff over at normalrogers.com where you can check out other episodes of this fine podcast. Today, we have a repeat visitor to our show, a very fine guest and special person. It is our very own Matt Milky Tacos. Hey! Yeah, I love it when you know, he's on the show sometimes. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get this guest, but we we managed to lock him down. Yeah, gonna get it. Get it. I I had to repeatedly make sure he had a slot. <laughs> uh, so Matt, you have another new. This is only your first of two books you have coming out this year. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, yeah, so, so this this is my eighth book, believe it or not. Wow. Jeez. Amazing. Well, congratulations. Yeah. We are looking forward to getting to talk all about that book. But first, we need to get into our stories of the week. Yes. It's time for Storymen Stories of the Week. Stories of the Week. May I go first? Please. As our first, honored guest, yes. For those of you who watch The Walking Dead, please know this is you. a spoiler for next season. So you may not want to hear this. Here I go. It's just one sentence long. (laughs) Andrew Lincoln, who plays Rick Grimes, will be leaving the show next season. (gasps) Hmm. Yep. I've often said that if they killed Rick, that might be what brought me back to the show, because maybe they were going to do something new. So maybe, maybe this is is my year, maybe. So Matt, let's be honest. Cards on the table. Now that this is a reality, how likely is it? Well, here's here's my concern. I'm worried that they're actually just ending the show, in which case I'm not going to come back for that. Are you worried about that? No, I uh, I'm more like I want them to do something original, take it in a new direction. But if they're just ending the show, they're not really doing that. So probably wouldn't come back for that. It sounds like from the reviews I read, because I still hate read the reviews, uh, <laughs> that it's been really uneven anyway. So chances are I would try it again and then be sad. But what's what's ironic there is that in being uneven, it's been really consistent from the first season. True. (laughs) Good point. Really good point. Yeah. But what's next for Andrew Lincoln? I think that's the burning question for Andrew Lincoln. Mm. And not very many other people. (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty sure he just got picked up for a uh, post-apocalyptic vampire show. (laughs) Expanding. (sighs) Well, Renfield, stay in the coffin. <laughs> He's going to play Red Skull in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. Is that for real? No. Red Skull's <laughs> dead, Clay. Oh, silly me. Well, I, I actually saw that the Infinity Stones are spread all over the universe and that one of the guys who has one of the skulls, or one of the stones is called Something Skull. Oh. Big, Where did you yeah. see that? Big Skull. In the front of the new... Daredevil, Infinity, something. Oh, yeah. so this is oh, like in the comic. comics right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like they got, got the six stones in six places, and one of them's in Hell's Kitchen. Oh no! The Mind Stone. Nice. Okay, well, well my story uh, is actually about the Church of England, and this story came out yesterday. The Church of England has a new Alexa skill. Now, as you guys know, I'm super obsessed with Alexa skills lately. Since they I don't are, know that our listeners know this, Clay. No, as you guys know. Our listeners probably don't know this, but I've been really excited about how accessible Amazon has made developing skills for Alexa. And um, oh, So, Alexa, that's, that's Amazon's little AI thing, right? That you that's talk right. to it, and it does different things. Like, Alexa, turn on my music or whatever. And yep. it looks like a speaker, but it'll do things on the internet for you. Yeah, probably like out of the tens of millions of people who have a device, most of them are 
afraid of it or using it to like ask the weather or play music or something like that. My dad asks it for jokes every day. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Well, I thought this one was particularly relevant to our show today because the Church of England did just come out with a skill. And um, it's interesting because this is, you know, relevant communication in a, in a time and place. How do you do it? So you can have, you can ask the Church of England things like read the prayer of the day or where is my nearest church? What does it mean to believe in God? Or even how do I become a Christian? Wow. And uh it's really interesting to see the way that faith and technology are merging here. I'm just reading this directly from the Church of England, but the story was picked up on all the all the usual suspects as well. And they have a little 15-second commercial with a is it is it bishops? The Archbishop of York in this case, um sitting down and, and asking for the Lord's Prayer and the voice service who shall not be named, so I don't trigger her. Uh she dutifully responds <laughs> with the Lord's Prayer. So quite an interesting uh, uh I have a really important question. Mm-hmm. Debts or trespasses? Ooh, that is a good one. I don't know. Um, I didn't download. Well, you don't have to download a skill. You just basically tell her to start using it. Nice. Um, we, we can look into that. I'll have a well, report yeah, for you. Please research before the next episode. <laughs> well, I also chose a story that is uh, themed according to Matt's new book. Uh, just a couple of days ago, a a group confirmed that they have discovered the oldest fragment of Mark's gospel that has uh, yet been ex- discovered. It dates from the late second to early third century AD. Wow. What, so, uh, what section is it? I'm not sure. Okay. How, uh, do they, at, how do they date those things, Jared? Like what process do they use? Uh, there's all kinds of ways to do that. I mean, a lot of it is things like carbon dating and there are ways to, uh, a lot of, it's actually pretty cool when you get into manuscript studies, like a lot of the new Testament manuscripts had other things written over them. They were like erased and written over and we have technology that can recover like the text that used to be written on the papyrus and all this stuff. It's so fascinating. Wow. Um, yeah, so uh, this is this is pretty cool. Like it's it's a pretty old. It, again, it's the oldest fragment we have. And uh, again, if you think it's late one hundreds or early two hundreds, that's probably like a second, maybe a third generation copy of the gospel because we think Mark was probably written in the sixties. So that's a really really early fragment, which is it doesn't. Uh, this uh, this is really more like Bible nerd cool than anything. Like it doesn't change anything. Uh, we are already we already have so many fragments of of the New Testament that we are really confident about everything. So this isn't like a oh it's going to change what's in the Gospel of Mark or something like that. It's more just neat. It's like we um, found an even older copy that says the exact same thing. Yeah 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 exactly right. Well uh, I mean. <laughs> We don't want to get too far into this because it's uh, definitely a derail from your episode. But the fragments don't all say the same thing. Like there are manuscript variations, quite a lot of them actually. Yeah. Uh, but that's part of the idea is when you have, you know, when you have like three copies of something and there's variations, you're not really sure which one's the original. When you have 500 copies of it, even if every copy has one or two differences from some original that you don't have anymore, because you have so many copies, you know, you'll have every verse or every line or even every letter, 95 or 99% of the manuscripts have the exact same thing. Like, then you're pretty sure that way. And that's, again, by this point, I think we have over 5,000 different fragments of new testament documents at this point uh some of some of which are whole books uh many of which are just scraps like what we found with this this mark fragment so yeah again that's a whole different episode but (laughs) it's just neat it's pretty cool so yeah it's amazing so those are our stories of the week uh we'd love to hear what you have been learning about this week uh norvillerogers.com or facebook.com slash storymen but for now we want to get to our very special guest today uh, let's welcome Matt Michelotis to the Storyman. Hello. Matt, it's so good to have you back on the Storyman <laughs> promoting your new book. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You guys always do a, such a good job. I always feel like you know me and you know my work. Matt, well, we have both internet stalked you for a long time. That's very oh, true. Thanks, guys. Uh, our first in question, uh, just to get right to it, how much of your success would you say is due to JR and I and the way we inspire you? I, oh, I mean, 
in my first couple books, not so much, but I'd say since then, 97.3% probably mm, with a little bit left over for my family <laughs> and like 0.1% okay. for like John Steinbeck. Fair enough. So um, your new book is called Good News for a Change. And the subtitle is How to Talk to Anyone About Jesus. So this is an evangelism book. And I notice you don't even say the word evangelism in the title. That's true. And that's actually on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) So let's, I mean, let's, let's take a couple of steps back before we get into the book proper. Like when we're talking about evangelism, uh, and, and this is really one of the things your book does so well, right? Like you just say how to talk to someone about Jesus. Right. Whereas I think the word evangelism has a lot of, uh, I guess in Texas we'd say highfalutin connotations to it, right? Right. So can you talk through a little bit about maybe your journey of evangelism and how you, like how early in your career with Crew, which is an evangelistic organization, yeah. uh, did you get to this sort of like very accessible evangelism? So... um Evangelism. So the word evangelism, part of the problem is for a lot of people, exactly like you said, JR, it creates this idea of something I must be trained in and become expert in so I can go talk to someone about Jesus. But it's this uh, really heavily, there's a lot of training involved, a lot of expertise involved. Um, When all it really means, the word all it means is evangel is the good news of God, right? So evangelism is telling someone that good news that that should be the simplest thing, but we have, because we have church jargon and religious jargon involved, it starts to sound like it's something else, something harder uh, and and more specialized. So I will say for crew crew uh, as an organization is considered, you know, a heavily evangelistic organization. It's a large part of why the organization came into existence and continues to exist. Um, And my training actually was, there was like, here's the way we do evangelism. There was some training piece involved, but at the same time, overall, the organization is very open to experimentation and trying new things uh, with different philosophies behind that, depending on the person, right? But I would say, Really early on, within my first two years in the organization, I was encouraged to make my own attempts and try new things and different things. And this was in the early 2000s, or no, late 90s. Uh, and I remember one of my really successful ones was we did in the dorms at the University of Washington a, uh, a showing of the movie The Matrix for all the students, after which we had this long spiritual conversation, like looking at the illusions and other things in the movie, uh, and it won best spiritual presentation in the UW dorms for the year. Uh, wow, so that yeah, was I was a, really encouraged to do things like that. And then the next two movies came out and that tool was dead, but <laughs> it was, it was so, fun so it lasted. I'm, I'm curious, all three of us grew up in evangelical youth groups. Um, what, like what's your earliest memory of evangelism or like, did you ever receive evangelism training clay up in the snowy white North? Yeah, I was thinking about oh, – I've been thinking about the topic a lot heading into today's show. And there's actually a story I never told you guys. But when I was a kid, you know, it was right there. I, I went to a church that was called Independent Bible Presbyterian, which meant basically it was independent, but it borrowed the boring worship methods of the Presbyterian way and um, was very quiet and sleepy and small. But it was still like ingrained in me early that – you had to share Jesus with people. But of course I wasn't very nuanced as like a seven year old. And I actually had a close friend who I would play with every day. It was like my neighbor and friend and his family was Catholic. And so I actually, I think I broached the topic of Jesus or something one day. I was like young. And I remember I told my mom that I had, uh, talk to him and, and that he got saved, but I was lying. It, it hadn't happened at all, but I felt like that would impress my mom. And then I ended up with this tremendous guilt as a kid because I lied. I, it seemed like it was the worst thing you could lie about was pretending that somebody, you know, had done this. So like months later, maybe a year later, 
I actually like decided I had to have the real conversation with him. And so I was like, you know, sitting on our porch and I told him about oh, it and how no. proud, who knows what I said, <laughs> but it must have been, you know, awful. And um, um, after that, he was never allowed to come over and play with me anymore. So, but, but he really did pray that day. So, you know, it was a real like dirty kind of shameful yeah. uh, approach. But the, the earliest training thing I remember was evangelism explosion. We didn't really do that in our church, that D. James Kennedy program from the early 70s. You guys have probably heard of. Um, but but that was that was kind of the world I grew up in. I grew up in a little Southern Baptist church, and I remember when I would walk in, there was like a table or a pegboard on the wall or possibly a one-two combination that had our daily bread devotionals and then tracks. And I remember some of them were really boring, and by which I mean they didn't have any pictures in them. And then there were chick tracks there. Uh, and again, they looked like comics, so I wanted to read them. So that, that was my first exposure in any kind of evangelism. Um, of course, no one like walked me through them or anything like that, uh, which I guess they're sort of in theory designed so that that's not necessary. Um, but I never it never occurred to me that, that these were things I should give to other people either, uh, <laughs> thankfully. So I, I don't remember when the first I, – I, I think – there was a there was an emphasis that we were meant to tell people about Jesus, but no one ever taught us how to do it. And the one thing I do remember, uh, well, two stories. So I had a lock-in uh, at my church, at my youth group, and I invited one of my friends from school who was an atheist. And he asked me before the lock-in, he said, is this going to be one of those things where you're like tricking me into coming to church? And I said, no, it's just a lock-in. Like, we're going to play games and stay up all night. It's going to be super fun. He said, okay, I'll come. So he came with me. And I was I was really excited because he was going to get to hang out with a lot of my church friends, many of whom didn't go to my school and didn't know my friend. And I was just expecting us to have a really good, fun night. And then the first thing that happened was a, like, hour-long singing and preaching. <laughs> yes. Um, and I remember – and, like, it was – it was like a normal Wednesday night thing for us. It wasn't it wasn't like especially bad or anything like that. But I just remember him looking at me with this look of betrayal in his eyes that like you promised me that this isn't what this was. And I thought like this is like I didn't think that was what this was. You know, so I remember sort of experiencing the bait and switchness yeah. of that with him, like vicariously with him, which of course, like I grew up in the church, uh, all my life. So I, I, it was hard for me to get that experience. Um, and then I did receive evangelism training. Uh, I went to an FCA camp and we talked a lot. Like, I think we learned the four spiritual laws and, and a couple of other techniques, um, you know, in college or when I was in grad school, uh, we had the brother Jeb, the guy who would come to our speaker circle and yeah, oh just yell gosh. at people, right? The confrontational stuff. Yeah, we and had he that would guy revel, too. revel in controversy, right? Like the more the more he made people mad, the better he was doing <laughs> by his by his metrics. And then actually, just not too many years ago, uh, I, I guess probably I guess a couple years ago, when Clay and I were still living together in Mesquite, uh, we there was a church, a Baptist church around the corner from us that would do door to door evangelism. And they could never figure out the living situation at our house because sometimes I would answer, sometimes my wife Amanda would answer, sometimes Clay would answer, and they could never figure out like what the uh, what the model was there. And then whenever I would talk to them, they would say, "We would love to invite you to our church." And I, you know, usually I was in like a tank top and shorts or something, and I I would say, "Well, I'm actually a pastor." <laughs> Were and they, they skeptical? Would, yeah, they would look at me and say. Uh, like, I think they were convinced I was lying to get them to leave, but then they, they would <laughs> right. say like, well, do you have church on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights? And I said, no. And they said, well, you could come then. And I was like, I'm a, like, I'm a pastor. I have church. Like, we're fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> How Please is this not getting rid house. of you when I say I'm a pastor? <laughs> so oh yeah, gosh. those are some of the various experiences of evangelism I've had. JR, it was exactly that experience was how somebody got me into a charismatic church for the first time, by the way. It was a really? lock-in with friends. I was at a new school, and we went out on Friday night, 
you know, it was going to be all night skate or something. And sure enough, they took us straight to a church, did a big service, except like two thirds of the way through some guy jumped up in the back and started like spouting off in, you know, I, I literally was afraid. I didn't know what was happening. I'd never seen that, never experienced it. It was, uh, it was even bait and switch for me. And I kind of expected the church to be involved. <laughs> That's really interesting. Have I, have I ever told you guys about the Jehovah's witness guy who would come talk to me all the time when I was in early college? I don't think so. I don't remember if I've told you this story. These stories remind me of it. Obviously, this is not me being trained in evangelism. There was this guy named Mike, and he came to – I was living with my parents at the time. He came to their house, knocked on the door. I opened the door. I start chatting with him. I invite him in. And he starts coming about once a week just to chat. Every time I ask him a question, he has like a, a book with all the answers. He opens it. And one day, I'm like, can I just have that book? Like, it's the only way you answer me. He's like, no, no, no. Uh, you know, I want to keep the relationship. I was like, okay, well, one day we've been talking for literally for an hour. He says, uh, Hey, I have some people waiting out in the car. This is California. <laughs> some people waiting out in the car. Can they come in and just use your restroom? And I was like, um, yes. What is wrong with you? Like, of course, why did, why did you leave them in the car? I don't understand. And he invites them in and it's these really pretty young college girls who have been waiting in the car for him to introduce them to me. You know, like, so one of them goes in the bathroom and the other two are like, oh, we're having this like party later this week. You should come. Like all this kind of stuff. I was like, Mike, what is going on? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, boy. And it might've worked too if I didn't already have a girlfriend at that time. So you didn't go to the party. <laughs> I did not. We have no idea what could have happened. There's no telling. It might not have even been bait and switch. It might have literally just been a party. Seems uh, unlikely. So with, with all of this in mind then, Matt, why this book? Well, I think – so you guys both mentioned a couple things that hit on it. And, and that is there's this idea that we walk away with sometimes out of the Christian church. And I don't know if it's intentionally communicated this way to us. But we walk away feeling guilty if we don't talk to people about Jesus or like um, nervous about it, scared, or that we have to bait and switch people. Like if we really want them to talk about Jesus, we have to get them into a party or talk about something that's actually interesting to get them to talk about Jesus. <laughs> and I, I was looking at that and I think it's a misunderstanding of what evangelism is and how it works and our part in it. And I just thought there's a lot of people who are feeling nervous, scared, guilty, unhappy about talking to people about Jesus. And I, I think they're missing out on some joy and blessing and giftings in their life. And, and I was like, that's really sad. Like, let's change that. And likewise, there's a bunch of people who don't know about Jesus, who want to have conversations, who are not able to because of our issues. And I think that's really sad too. So that's a lot of what this book about, is about, is how do we talk about evangelism and the gospel in a way that is enjoyable for us and for the people we're talking to? And it's recognizable as good news. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I'm not the only person, you know, who would speak from personal personally watching some families and some people around me who have literally had relationships and even family relationships and because of the way they evangelized. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, literally people who never talked to their families again because they felt it was their solemn duty to do so. And when they did, it was met with resistance or animosity. And probably all of us have seen plenty of relationships like literally torn apart because of evangelism, which seems to be tragically ironic. Yeah, I talked to a pastor a few years ago who told me that he can't talk to his brother anymore because he pushed on this so hard that his brother just said, not like, let's only talk about other things, but I don't want to speak to you anymore, which is, that's heartbreaking. That's really terrible. Now, Matt, I know that uh, evangelism is one of the spiritual gifts listed in scripture. So is maybe that just the problem? Maybe it's like only some people should really be doing this and everyone else should not? Okay, this is a really, actually really common response kind of for your average Christian person. You say something about evangelism and they'll say, that's really wonderful. I'm glad you're gifted in that, but that's not my spiritual gift, so I don't need to do that. Um, 
which is one, I think a misunderstanding of spiritual gifts and what they are and how they work. Uh, for instance, there's a spiritual gift of faith listed in scripture. Does that mean the rest of us are off the hook and never have to have faith in God? Well, no, you can't actually be a follower of Christ without faith. Uh, so it, it can't possibly mean quite that. Um, and there's a list there, there's multiple places that spiritual gifts are listed and depending on your church tradition or your theology, you might look at them different ways, but the main three places are Romans 12, first Corinthians 12 and Ephesians four, where a lot of different things are listed. And again, depending on translation, we're talking about things like the gift of giving leadership, mercy, prophecy, administration, healing, knowledge, uh, evangelism, pastor, like a lot of different things like that. So I think one of the things, one of the ways to think about it is this, a spiritual gift is a place that you're serving Christ where you feel that, or you experience that the Holy spirit especially empowers you in that place. So anyone can teach in the church in, in multiple contexts, but there are certain people that when they teach, you experience God speaking to you in a different way. That's true, I think. Uh, at, at the same time, uh, so I would say, personally, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Me, personally. I do evangelism, and I see people come to Christ, but I don't think I have an, a, a special spiritual gifting in that in that area. So I'm coming to you as a fellow person without the gift to say, yeah, the Holy Spirit works through me sometimes in this, but it's not something that I would say is in a special gifting from the Lord. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. What, what, what would you, what would you say about that? JR? Like, would you add anything? I know you're, you're actually, you have the gift of being a pastor. Would you <laughs> add anything? Pastor us. No, I mean, I, I think, I think there are people who have a particular ability to do what the whole body should do. Yeah. And so we should never, we should never abdicate responsibilities that the scripture gives us. For instance, uh, the scripture calls everyone who's in the body of Christ a minister, right? And so right. we all have to do ministry if we're believers. We don't just get to say, well, there's only certain people that are gifted to do ministry, so we let them. And there are tony, pl uh, plenty of places where we're all called to announce the good news about Jesus. Uh, and I, I think the trick is cutting through I get it like and I, I get that we want to turn everything into a formula or a class because that makes it accessible and easy yeah and I think that unfortunately sometimes the people who are gifted in evangelism people for whom it just comes it seems to come more naturally through their giftedness uh, they they want to they want to help people I think <laughs> I was trying to say not not say, make a profit from it. I think that's the, the, the cruelest way to look at it. I think the best way to look at it is they genuinely want to help people. They turn it into a class. The class turns into a formula. And then the formula turns into uh, like a template that we use that reduces people to projects instead of relationships, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think the best thing that can be happening is when people who have the gift of evangelism create spaces. So, like, that's, I mean, one of the things, I think evangelism is an area where I'm spiritually gifted. And one of the things I try to do is create spaces where believers and non-believers can come together and connect. Um, right. Because the spiritual gifts serve the church. Right. And so part of your job with the gift of evangelism could be helping us get into those spaces. Right. And, and to be clear, then when I'm like, when I interviewed with Catalyst, I said, you know, look, I'm more gifted in evangelism than shepherding. And so I'm more outward focused than inward focused as a pastor. Um, like, you just need to know that about me. Like, that's, right. that's how I lead. And of course, that's the kind of church Catalyst is and wants to be. So they were all about that. But, you know, there, there are churches that expect the person that they hire to be their pastor to be more of a shepherd and take care of the people inside the building, then connect them with people outside the building, which that different strokes for different folks, right? There's different kinds of churches, but, uh, anyway, kind of got off on a tangent there. I think too, like the other thing I would add is like, 
part of the beauty of spiritual gifts is not, oh, that person now fulfills this entire function. So for instance, my wife, Krista, has the spiritual gift of faith. She, When God tells us as a family to do something, even something hard, she might have complex feelings about it, but her instant response is, let's go do that thing. Uh, whereas I need to wrestle with it and figure it out and like kind of fight it out because I'm trying, you know, to have faith. But one of the things that's happened for me is being married, being in close quarters with her, watching that has really helped me to grow in my faith. I still wouldn't say I'm spiritually gifted in faith, but I'm able to look at it and go like, okay, I see her doing that. And I recognize this is what having greater faith looks like. And I can, my life can start to shape that direction. And I think that's true in evangelism too. When we're with people who are gifted in evangelism, we can learn from that and continue to do the things we're called to uh, as we're being shaped to be more like Christ. Yeah. So with that excellent setup, Matt, every time I read one of your books, I'm so struck. Um, really, it's your writing style, no matter what form you're writing, and it's always very clear and fast-paced. But especially in a topic like this, there's a lot to kind of sit down in, even after you kind of go through a chapter quickly. And you have this part of the book, we talk about the gospel according to them. You have a lot of chapters with titles like that we'll, we'll mention in a little bit. And you very, what's the word, not diplomatically, but gently walk through many of the ways that the things people, even well-intentioned people do in order to try to share the beauty of God with others, uh, that oftentimes it's not received very well, uh, or with confusion, or just straight out with hostility. And that brings us to worship music. So... You have some really specific and interesting stories that a lot of people can relate to. And uh, you talk about one particular uh, individual who he was trying to figure out what these weird, creepy songs were that people were singing about. Can you set that up a little bit? Yeah. So we were at this big Christian conference. There are about a thousand college students there, and I was the Bible teacher. And every week, so we did this for four weeks in a row, every week there'd be some non-Christian kids who would come to the conference for one reason or another. You know, it's on the beach, it's during spring break. And one week, there was a kid, his sister had just come to Christ a few weeks before, was hanging out with these Christian kids all the time. And she said to him, his name is Brandon. She's like, Brandon, come with me to the beach. It'll be so fun. It's a Christian thing, but I promise it'll be cool. So he came with and uh, we kind of hit it off. We became friends and we were hanging out. And uh, Brandon said, I said, how are you doing? Like I did this little, uh, for the non-Christians every week, I would do this thing called how to survive a Christian conference. <laughs> so we would all hang out for like an hour and I'd walk them through like, it's okay that you're not a Christian. Don't feel weird with the songs and you know, like all that stuff. So we're touching base on this. I said, Brandon, how are you doing? Like, how's it going? And he said, he said, man, there's a bunch of stuff I don't understand. I said, like, what? He goes, well, the songs are so creepy. <laughs> I said, can, can you give me an example? He's like, yeah. That one they were singing this morning about consume me from the inside out. It's disgusting. Like, you want your God to, like, eat your guts out? Like, what are you talking about? And uh, which, you know, that's a pretty famous song in evangelical Christian circles. So it was really funny. I was laughing pretty hard. <laughs> And I said, what else? What else, Brandon? <laughs> like, tell me other things. And then he goes, why do you hate sheep so much? You're always talking about, like, <laughs> blood of the lamb and, like, slaying lambs and stuff. Like, why do you hate sheep? Which I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like, to someone on the outside, both of these questions are very legitimate. It sounds like we're sheep murdering, like, eat out our gut religious fanatics. So that was a... Yeah, he was not walking away with, oh, I'm really interested in Jesus. He was like, I'm a little bit afraid of you. <laughs> so so what did you say? Well, what's interesting is, for Brandon, I would not suggest this typically as your first way to talk about Jesus with someone, but he was very interested. I said, do you really want to understand the sheep thing? He was like, yeah. So I gave him a really simple uh, overview of the Jewish sacrificial system and how you know, basically I get to the part 
that we're all waiting for, that Jesus died and rose again so you can be forgiven of your sins, like that whole piece. I get to the end, and, he, and I said, so now human beings don't have to die. They can be in permanent relationship with God. And he's, he literally, he goes, what about the sheep? I was like, <laughs> yeah, also the sheep don't have to die. And he was like, whoa, that's really good news. Like he was very focused on the sheep. <laughs> I don't know, but for him, right? The whole thing yeah. about eternal life, salvation. He was like, yeah, 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 yeah. What about the sheep? What about the sheep, man? So that was his, that was his, you know, moment. That was, that was the good news for him was hearing about the sheep. So yeah, would I walk up to someone on the street and say, let me explain to you the Jewish sacrificial system. I think you'll find this interesting. Like, no, <laughs> never. Uh, but for this Neither kid... Yeah. I was like, neither would you say, hey, aren't you glad sheep don't have to die anymore? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So it this would have never occurred to me to start here, especially with this is a, you know, a 19 year old kid from the Midwest somewhere with with no experience of religious things. I would never think, hey, let's let's start with ritual animal sacrifice. This should this should move you the right direction. <laughs> so this is what's interesting about your book, right? Uh, because uh, so so you you bring up one of the classic, the four spiritual laws, which that's Bill Bright. He's your it, godfather. Is that fair to he's, say? He's the founder in 1951 of Crew. Yeah, he he of and Crew. his wife so, founded it together. Um, and and uh, you, you bring up the point that like a lot of traditional forms of evangelism uh, have to do with where you're going to spend eternity. Right. right. From right. The, the classic and classically insensitive, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to be? Right. Uh, yes. all, the, all the way through. And, and one of the things you bring up is like take millennials and then whatever we're going to end up calling Generation Z, the people coming up under millennials, they show way less interest in questions about eternity than Gen Xers, certainly than boomers. And so the, uh, the evangelism tactics that worked really effectively for older generations are becoming increasingly less relevant for for people let's say under 40 is that is that right yeah yeah i think that's fair and that's what uh so a millennial your average millennial okay so there are millennials who are very very interested in the afterlife and what that means for them personally there are others who have zero interest i would say your average millennial is like yeah, I guess that's important, but they're very much more focused on like, if I, I share Christ a lot with millennials, uh, if I, if I do start with that, what many of them will say is like, if your God is so good, what is he doing about today? Why is there sex trafficking? Why do I have this issue in my life that I can't get past? Like, why does my mom have cancer? Right. Or why am I struggling with this thing? Or why is there injustice or racism? And the question for them is, if I become a follower of Jesus today, how is that going to impact my life? And that's, that's a totally valid question and absolutely part of the gospel, uh, a really clear part of the gospel. But if we're focused on, hey, where are you, you going to go if you die tonight? They're like, well, I, I don't know, but what's going to happen if I don't die tonight? And, you know, there's uh, racial injustice tomorrow. Like, what am I going to do about that? Which actually is a beautiful thing about millennials, I think. They're very focused on changing the world, which is one of the key pieces of the good news of Jesus. So so what you're really doing here is you're saying, like, they're, the, it's, like an, it's, like a, it's like an unformula. Right. Like instead of saying, here is a here's a conversational template that you can peel off and stick on any person and they'll become a Christian or at least you've done your due diligence. Um, now what you're saying is the formula is build a relationship with this person and learn what what part of the gospel is actually good news to this person and then begin with that. Yeah, I think that's right. And and build a relationship. That could mean that you're going to be in relationship for years, or it can still happen in a 15-minute conversation. It really can. But you're it's a different approach. You're not coming with let me let me share this prepackaged speech I have with you. Instead, you're saying, "Let me get to know you a little bit at least and know what are your desires and thoughts and questions and what that I know about Jesus." do I think will be good news about Jesus for you? 
And it, it changes where you start the conversation, not necessarily where it goes. You might still get to kind of your prepackaged idea if you have a preferred way, you know, but you're really starting with what is good news for this person I'm talking to? Not, not the good news, the universal good news, but for this person specifically, what is good news about Jesus? I wanted to talk about that because you, you don't waste much time as you should not in a book like this, getting to the importance of listening. And you just talked about the uh, idea of building a relationship um, to, to go back to some of those organizations we grew up around, right around the late 90s. They were you know, realizing that what they did was called confrontational evangelism, and they needed to have the relationship precede the truth, and those kind of things started to come into my ecosystem. But what it really comes down to, uh, especially as a communication, just law, is that you have to really listen first, right? So as you talk about that early in the book and as you're talking about it here, can you um, give a, a tip or two as to what that kind of active listening looks like when you know, you're know you literally thinking in terms that someone's ultimate fate is at stake or you're yeah. thinking about what they need versus what they really want or you you think you understand their problem, but they certainly don't see that that is their problem. Yeah. So great question. I, I think about this when I was in youth group, I, you know, this is the nineties, eighties and nineties. We must've spent hundreds of hours being taught about how to defend creation versus evolution. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. So Clay, you experienced this, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, JR, you probably ignored all that. <laughs> the, <laughs> just kidding. But so, you know, what's interesting is how few times it's not that it's never, but how few times this particular question has been a key question someone has about following Jesus. Like maybe in my 20 years as a missionary, maybe twice that that's been a question things hinged on for some people. And I think that's important. So I have this tool set. I have this plan for what to do if this particular conversation comes up to talk about the importance of God and his involvement in the creation of the universe. But if I'm talking to this average person on the street, it's literally not a question that intersects with their life or they're not aware that it does. So either I have to, I have to get them interested in this conversation that I'm prepared for, or I have to see where they are in their life and what questions they're asking. And that's where it makes a really big difference who you're talking to and where they're from and what they're involved with. And that's the, I think that's a key piece. So people over program, right? Like I can't just force every conversation into my pre-programmed idea of what it should be. I need to actually hear what they're saying and listen and respond to what they're saying and go where they want the conversation to go and trust that my knowledge of God, if he's really so great, if he's so wonderful, that I don't need to go prepare somewhere to share what I've experienced. And that's a big part of how scripture talks about being a witness, that what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced, what our hands have touched, that these are the things that are the good news about Jesus, not just that he died on the cross, but also here's, uh, well, I mean, Here's what happened when my best friend was passing away from cancer. Here's what happened in a hard time in my parenting life. Here's what happened to me when I was unjustly accused of something at work. And here's how God met me in the middle of that. Like things like this, this common ground that we have with the rest of humanity can be really, really excellent places to talk about the good news of who Jesus is and what he might be in someone else's life as well. That's fantastic. Um, so we're running low on time, and we're certainly, as usual, not going to go through the whole book because we want our listeners to get it get it uh, for themselves. But I do want to tease people a little bit on what can, what they can expect in the rest of the book. Uh, they can expect to find the gospel according to Buddha. Uh, even more interesting, they can uh, expect to find the gospel according to My Little Pony, which, Matt, <laughs> you don't have to confirm this if you don't want to, but true or false, it was almost the gospel according to the Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> That's actually true. That is actually true. But I, I was finding that I was having a hard time making it sound convincing in print. Juggalos for Jesus. 
Yeah, I actually think there's a really good case for it, and we could talk about that, but uh, it was hard to pull off in the book, so I switched to My Little Pony, which is, it's a delightful chapter. I really enjoyed it. I was laughing. I was cackling to myself while I was typing it out. Uh, longtime listeners of the show know that you have been a, a brony oh. for ages, so oh, yeah. glad to see that. Glad to see that book. Uh, you'll hear, you'll learn how not to speak Christianese, and yet somehow still talk about Jesus. <sighs> Uh, and you'll even get to learn about talking about Jesus with Satanists. Classic. Classic, <laughs> Classic. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful book. It's so rich and so so practical and useful. Thank you. It really is. It's just a great study in how to be a good human to other humans. And it's amazing how many times just simply being that will open the doors for the conversations Play. you hope to have. Do you feel like it's incidental that the book is about telling people about Jesus and also happens to be about how to be a person who treats people with respect and love or are those connected. I don't know. Sometimes I go off the grid and make these crazy connections. So that might just be me, the reviewer reading into it too much. (laughs) So Matt, what are your hopes for this book? Okay. You know, this book's called good news for a change. And I think there's kind of the double meaning there. One is it's for some people, hearing the good news from you, it might be the first time they've ever recognized it as good news. And I think the good news transforms us. And then after that, it says how to talk to anyone about Jesus. And I think I literally mean that. I don't think there's a single person on this planet who doesn't want good news. I think every single person, you know, that brother who's not talking to you anymore, your neighbor, the Satanist down the street, that kid that drives you nuts, you know, whoever it is, that they do want good news. And I think if you read this book, my hope is that you'll recognize that there's an enjoyable way to, with love, have those conversations. And those people will say to you, I want to hear more about this. Excellent. Well, thank you for this book. We're really excited for our listeners to dive into it. And uh, also, I know a few of our listeners work in churches or in churches. Can you talk a little bit about some of the packages that your publisher has been putting together that might even involve you and some FaceTime with those churches? Yeah. So if you go to goodnewsforachangebook.com, my publisher has put together a variety of packages that basically, if, if you're a church, if you're looking at it and saying, Hey, we, we might like to do this as a book study or something at our church that they've said, if you buy a certain number of copies that they will, uh, set up a, uh, basically a workshop for me to come either virtually or in person, depending on the number of books you buy, uh, and things like that. And that's all on there and the contact for how to talk to someone. And they even said, if I come in person, to workshop option two, that's the one that, yeah, I think that's a hundred plus copies of the book and uh, virtual. If you get 25 plus that, uh, they say I might even wear a chicken mask and I, I do have a chicken mask and it's, it's very comfortable. I can wear it for long periods of time. Uh, so yeah, go to good news for a change and you can see all of that, all of that, uh, video of me speaking uh, a couple free chapters to download. I think the gospel according to Buddha and the gospel according to God are both on there and yeah, a variety of other things. Awesome. Well, again, Matt, congratulations on your eighth book Thank you. and, uh, we'll look forward to having you back in a couple of months for book number nine. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Uh, for now, uh, before we end our show, of course, we need to, as always, do our pop culture picks of the week. I will go first. <laughs> Great. As the guest. Um, I Arrested Development Season 5 just yes. dropped, I think, yesterday. And I watched the first episode. Season four, I did not like, like at all. And, you know, I only half liked season three, to be honest. Uh, so I watched the first episode of season five last night. And a, there was a decent amount of that episode that was set aside to remind us what happened in season four. To, like, bring us up to speed again. So that part was not particularly funny. It was more like an extended flashback. But there were some kind there was kind of a glimpse of that classic comedy of the like awkward family with weird stuff going on. 
uh, still showing in there. So I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to watch the next couple episodes and see where it goes. But if you like Arrested Development, it is definitely worth a shot, I would say. I may or may not be six episodes in. Oh, wow. Do, uh, okay. If you <laughs> if you were six episodes in, would you say it holds up to some of the earlier episodes? Uh, so I would say it's probably going to come in as my third favorite season between okay. two and three. But uh, every episode, there are hilarious lines. And every episode, there are things that make me laugh out loud. Yeah, and every episode there are horribly awkward things that I'm just like, yes, this is oh my gosh, this show. Yeah, so there was definitely one moment in the first episode that I was like, oh, I'm not laughing, but I do feel real nervous. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of scenes where they draw it out, you know, to make you make you feel weird. Yeah, <laughs> and then they just don't cut away even after that. Oh <laughs> so man, it, just, it it almost. Like, I was almost like, did the actors know that the scene was going to keep going? That's funny. Like, are they waiting for the cut to be called? And then they're just having to, like, you know, improv because they're not calling cut. Like, it almost felt like that awkward. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to it now. I was worried that it might drop off after season one or episode one. It sounds well, like and, it And, you it know, it's only up. the first eight episodes of season five. And they're going to oh, release okay. the – yeah, it's a split season. So – Apparently, Think Christian has never done anything on Arrested Development. What? And so they asked me if I would write a piece for them. So I'm nice. going to be working on that. Hopefully, by the time this episode airs, it'll be up or coming out pretty quick. Well, so. I might need to check out this new show. What? You've Brand never seen new show, Clay? Play. Arrested Development. I'll have to watch the pilot sometime. Clay! Oh, my gosh. It's okay, <laughs> Clay. Is it it's as good as Psych? It's better, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, you don't matter. <laughs> It's a murder mystery about um, two brothers who live together in a house with their mother and father still. You'll like it. I'll tell you this about Arrested Development. I never have to tell people, make sure you watch at least four seasons of it and then you'll probably like it. Oh my good lord. (laughs) (laughs) Will you just get on your pick, JR? (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, May I have two picks? Um, yes. So my first one that I have to is the new Stephen King book, The Outsider. Um, here's the thing. So I'm, uh, by the time this episode airs, I've already taught this fiction class, but one of the things I'm teaching in there is the kinds of plots. And the thing about mysteries is a mystery plot always has another plot inside of it. Because once you, once the mystery is revealed, then you find out that there was something else going on the whole time that you didn't know about. Mm Mm-hmm. I've rarely read a mystery that is hiding a horror plot inside of it. Oh. And so I am, this new book, The Outsider, is that. It's a horror novel hiding inside a murder mystery. Yikes. And. That sounds awesome. It's it's just brilliant. Like, I keep looking for the seams. All, all new characters? Or is it like a pickup from something else? Of I honestly don't want to say. Okay. So King um, King loves those old hard boiled detective novels that he read when he was a kid, and he's done yes. a couple of those pulpy things like the Colorado Kid. So it sounds like maybe he's found a way to kind of merge his yes. his love with his what he's known for. Yes, and it's I mean it's typical King brilliant writing. Um, man, this book is just the first like the first probably section of the book, which is maybe the first ten percent or so which is all just the setup of stuff. It's not that it was uninteresting. It's just that I hadn't even read the back cover of the book. So I had no idea. Like I was completely unoriented into how the book was going to go. And uh, so I was kind of like, I'm not sure what this is yet. And then I was like, okay, it's a murder mystery. And then I was like, wait, I think it might be something. And so just as, as, as King unspooled it, again, I was kind of watching for how he was doing it. And I love it. Like King Shaban, there are very few writers that when I, even when I look for the seams, I can't see how well they've written the book. And this is, this is that book. So. Wow. um, Awesome. Did you say you're taking two? Yeah, I have another one. So you might've heard that Roseanne got canceled. Uh uh, Because she tweeted uh, a very racist thing. And then yeah. uh, the day that we're recording tweeted that she apologized. She was ambient tweeting. So dictionary.com tweeted, <clears throat> <clears throat> 
The name ambient is thought to come from the word ambient or similar words in French. Ambient does not mean prone to making racist comments, but it does mean of surrounding area or environment. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see the makers of Ambien also came out and said racism was not a side effect of their drugs. Yeah, I'm sure. So I just love uh, one of the one of the replies to the dictionary.com tweet said, whoever thought the dictionary would be the shade queen we were all missing from our lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So dictionary.com, they actually have been they whoever is running their Twitter account uh, is is a very woke and socially savvy tweeter. And they have frequently uh, used their word-defining power for good. So I've been enjoying their account quite a lot. Okay. That's awesome. Well, Clay, what do you got? Uh, mine's pretty straightforward. I was a big fan of The Toys That Made Us Season 1, which was on Netflix last year. They do a great job in documentary form of going through these multi-billion dollar franchises like Star Trek is episode one. I'm sorry, Star Wars and uh, Barbie and G.I. Joe, Whoa. He-Man. Uh, I just had such a great time watching it. And they've just released season two, which is the next four. Just came out this week. I haven't even watched any of them yet except the trailer, which looks just as awesome. It's like My Little Pony, Strawberry Shortcake. They did not go with either of those. And those were kind of <laughs> when we were trying to guess what they might be. I thought for sure My Little Pony would be in the mix. But the four new ones are going to be Star Trek, Transformers, Lego, and Hello Kitty. Hello Kitty. But even if you don't care about any of the franchises, it's such a well-done series. It's so interesting how they kind of walk you through the development, the changes, and really the cultural impact, which is just so cool to watch. That's awesome. I still haven't started that show yet, and I every time you talk about it, I feel sad and guilty that I need to because I know I'm only hurting myself. I mean, just watch the <laughs> Star Wars episode and see what you think. You're you're hurting Clay a little too. You're not hurting me. I like lots of awesome stuff that Jared doesn't watch. Well, you'll probably like Solo then. Because <laughs> <laughs> Solo's great. It's so fun. It's probably better in episode four. <laughs> it makes episode four worse. We don't have time for this. This isn't a solo episode. Uh, Matt, please tell us where people can find you online. Hey, if you can spell my last name, you can find me. Matt Michalotis, Amazon Mary, I-K-A-L-A-T-O-S. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And, of course, for this particular book, you can go for to goodnewsforachangebook.com. Sweet. Uh, you can... I'm I'm just like Matt. If you can find my last, if you can spell my last name, you can find me. It's J R Foresteros F O R A S T E R O S. Facebook, Twitter, all those different places. I uh, love to connect, and I have a weekly pop culture and faith newsletter. You can sign up for it. Stuff you'll probably like. dot com. Did you say if we can smell your last name? Yep. Yep. <laughs> smells like it smells like meats. the forest. Unlike my two esteemed co-hosts, there's Clay Morgans everywhere. I'm typically Clay Morgan PA on socials, but you can go to ClayMorganOnline.com. And as Jr. alluded to earlier, I'm all about the Alexa stuff lately because actually, starting this week, I'm teaching a new course with my buddy Donna about how to market your book or your whatever product organization through Alexa for free without coding skills. And you can just read about uh, Alexa Market My Business at ClayMorganOnline.com. Clay, if we have an Alexa, <laughs> Alexa can we just say answered me. Alexa Market My Business, and it'll take me there? No, you can't do that yet. Oh. I was trying to hack everyone's Alexa. Sorry, everyone. But you can ask her to open the writing motivation skill, and it's very fun. I created that. We'll try it. Uh, well, this has been episode number 198. Our guest today has been Matt Michalotis. His book is called Good News for a Change, How to Talk to Anyone About Jesus. Uh, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, then you can still pre-order the book for one more day today because it comes out tomorrow. If you waited any more than 24 hours, then just go buy it right now and treat yourself. Uh, thanks, as always, to our listeners for li- engaging with the show, for sharing it, uh, especially since we don't pay for any advertising. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. Until then, uh, take care of yourselves out there. Take care of each other. This is a song about the three-story men. Life is a story we're all living in. So now that you know story
there's a man. Rather, sometimes there's some men. And I'm talking about the story men here. And I know what you're thinking. Those are some tall fellers. I don't know if that's three stories separately or three combined. Well, we're missing the point. Sometimes there's some men. And you want to know what these hombres are about? Well, I won't say they're heroes. They're just the men who are right for their time and place. These men, uh, shoot, I lost my place. Well, I've probably introduced them enough, so just relax for a spell and bend your ear their way. <laughs> 